Welcome to episode 45 of Get Out A Wrap and back for, is this your third or fourth? Third, it? it's a three-peat. Is this the hat trick? Yeah. Is it? I'll get like a ball or something. like Kane Bamford hat trick. Chris <laughs> Rainsforth from Verin, how you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. Uh, nice to speak to you. Nice to see you. I know we can see each other. I so know, nice. yeah. Well, I've got to start um, sharing the recordings because it's it seems a shame not to let people see our faces and how good we're looking. Well, I'm looking extremely svelte, I think, at the minute compared to how I, how I, how I was looking uh, in the you middle of last year. Like you're going to be on um, Gladiators or something soon, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't know about that. <laughs> The gladiators. <laughs> There's a flash, like flashback to Saturday evenings. Bear watch oh, the you, gladiators. You have been on a bit of a, a fitness trip, haven't you? Yeah, so it started after the first lockdown. So when we started to relax everything back in August. And I'd put on, well, I was weighing the heaviest I've ever weighed. It was all fat. I was kind of nearly 16 and a half stone, just nearly touching 17 stone um ridiculous um i look like a weeble it was uh it was all they weeble it was all, and they wobble but they don't yeah down. yeah that was that was me um and i think i just I got to a point where i could have continued down that path and that was just because i think the first lockdown we just got into a complete i'm going to eat loads and drink loads um and then it just got to a point of going, I need, I need to do something. There's a there's a tipping point, I think, in everyone's uh, state of mind that says you, you you either continue doing what you're doing or you or you make a change and and, and do something different. So yeah, I, made a, I decided to make a change and started going to the gym, going on more of a kind of calorie controlled diet. And it was working really well. And then second lockdown hit and that just kind of the momentum that we just built up and just yeah. built up. And all of a sudden that went... Um, and we managed to keep that kind of motivation going, converted the garage into a bit of a gym and started doing some workouts in there uh, and then reopened again. So we got back into the gym and that routine and, and, and doing bits and then it pretty locked down again. So it's kind of, it's been a bit stop and start. And I think December was a bit of a, um, not a rubbish month, but I kind of decided as the lead up to Christmas just to start relaxing myself a little bit and enjoy Christmas and enjoy that time. And I think, Originally, the plan was to see some of the family over Christmas. You know, the, the rules are supposed to be relaxed and we we're going to get a chance to, to see my dad, for example. And we, we kind of said, let's just enjoy the period. And then all the plans got cancelled last minute, as, as we all know, and mm-hmm. everything reverted back. So I just kind of got into a bit of an emotional state and decided to revert back and drank and ate things and became very unhealthy again for about four five weeks. And then kind of started to kick back into gear again. Uh, the middle of January just to try and stop any uh stop that downward spiral again but yeah so we're currently sitting around 13 stone down from kind of 16 and a half so it's we're not doing too bad and that's great uh, bit of a way to go yet that's great but I think everyone can resonate with that with the kind of journey you've just described around up down up down getting into a routine the routine changes because it's all about it's all about routines isn't it and habit and if those habits mean healthier eating more exercise over time you see the results and then I've always thought especially during this period of lockdown you've got to do whatever it is that's making you 
get through it at the time, as long as it doesn't hurt you or anyone else in the long run. You've got to do it. You shouldn't. I think everyone's dealing with everything differently, and I think we've just got to let people deal with it in the way they want to deal with it. I think we've got no right to tell anybody how they deal with the stress and the situation that they uh, find themselves in. Um, everyone's having some kind of struggle here, and people are going to deal with those things differently. Um, I think what the, the thing for me, I think as well, just coming into the new year and you kind of you know normally and it was quite strange this year i think there's a big shift in people's kind of start to the new year you normally you see don't you kind of new year's eve going out out with the old in with the new 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 year new me and all this stuff yeah. like, like you typically see and you see this historically for years and this year i saw none of that yeah like i saw very little of people standing up and saying this is what I'm going to do this year to, to kind of change these are the resolutions that I'm making um, and I saw none of that this year or, or very little compared to the the wave you would normally see at the start of a new year I think everyone's just ground down to a point of going we just need to get through this um, and I was the same I kind of said you know January I wrote off pretty much did bits to keep me ticking over but kind of February is the new January that's kind of where I'm at now. And do you think um, you mentioned something at the, when, at the start when you were chatting around just in, emotions and how maybe we're more in tune with our emotions or aware of each other's emotions. Um, I'm certainly seeing it more, more at work, especially you think the transition, it used to be, it was, uh, well, I know my experience, it's frowned upon to share or show any emotions at work. Yeah. Now, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? I think I think we mentioned it last time we spoke because one of those things of going because of the way, you know, you, you've got your work persona and then you've got your private persona, and there's always that kind of differentiation between the two. I go to work, you, you put on a you put on a mask and you do your job, don't you? And because of the way we've been constrained over the last kind of twelve months, you, I think those lines have become really blurry between people, and I think people are showing more of their real side. Mm. more of their true personality um, to the people that they wouldn't necessarily show that side of them to. Uh, and the emotions is part of that. And I think we've become very empathetic um, as a as a human race, really, in the main. And, you know, there's some outliers and there's some idiots and kind of not going to go down that route. But I think in general, we've become really empathetic to everybody because we're all in it together. It's not about understanding someone's situation when you've not gone through that yourself and that can be a struggle sometimes as as, as leaders as managers to kind of empathize in a way that you can resonate with whereas I think because we're all in the same situation we're all got very similar challenges we can really empathize with people and that's allowing people to show their emotions a bit more and be more open about the way they're feeling um, the struggles that they're having those types of things I think it's become more accepted now which is a really, really good thing for me. I think it's a really positive step forward. And, you know, I think we mentioned last time, take the positives out of the negatives that we can. And I think the fact that we can now be more open with each other, um, share our emotions and share our thoughts and feelings in a more open setting with our employees and employers, that, that's got to be a massive step forward for us in, in any way, shape or form. There's, um, <clears throat> I mean, there's a guy on... LinkedIn, Lee Whittick, who's looking for work, actually, operations leader, and he shares um, videos, and he shared one about, I want to get the pronunciation right, Brené Brown, um, 
she shared a short video it's aimed at kids actually but i, I really enjoyed it it was it's about the difference between empathy and sympathy and um i'm a fixer so if someone's saying they're in a difficult situation i want to try and be able to to fix you reckon you can sympathize and but you want to go straight into solution mode whereas in fact empathy is just being there with that person and letting them talk and letting them um, express whatever it is is making them feel that way at the moment, um, and that being and that being enough. And I think it's in in lockdown, through work and personal life, you kind of, I would say that differentiation between sympathy and empathy is something that I've learned a lot more about. I I would say I was always a sympathetic leader and all and friends and all of these things but actually i was probably not as empathetic as i should have been in just allowing people to um talk about where they are at and how they're feeling because surely everyone i haven't spoken to anyone who has not been affected by this lockdown and what it's doing to people's mental states or um where they're at everyone has even within the day you know violent um changes of mood where one minute you're like right i can do this this is fine you're very productive the next minute you kind of your depths of despair thinking what is the point um and having to keep going and manage people through that like you say when it's all everything is all in the same place i don't think if instantly right now for example it was all lifted wouldn't it actually be we we're talking about this the other day there wouldn't actually be that much that i would be doing differently but it's it's the oppressive nature of not being able to do that so it's not like i was gallivanting around all over the place but take away going to london for work or whatever it may be but it was actually around the gym taking the girls to their clubs maybe going out for a meal not massive not massive things and that's the thing isn't it it's it's not the fact that you would change what you're doing per se but it's knowing that you can't do those things and mm. not be spontaneous mm. and i think you know we are spontaneous naturally i think human beings you know we, we 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 wake up on a saturday morning and we go you know what the sun's shining let's go do this and we kind of have this um ability to be spontaneous and been taken away has been my biggest challenge i'm a very spontaneous person and you know go back to before lockdown i traveled quite a lot for work and i'd spend two three days away a week um consistently right so being spontaneous was i got back it's a weekend right let's do something let's go do something and that bit you know we kind of confined to my office pretty much from kind of 8 30 till 6 p.m every day i might go for a walk in the morning one would have to work, go into the garage for a bit, well, these things. But fundamentally, that's just become the cocoon that we're living in. And, you know, not being able to go outside that cocoon is the really restrictive thing. And I've struggled this time. I think this this lockdown I've found increasingly more difficult than the first one. And I don't necessarily know why. I don't think um, there's no real reason for it to feel different or be different, but I feel this one has really impacted me, my family, in a way that the other one didn't mm. so much. And I don't know if that's because we had the nicer weather and we could spend time in the garden and we can do these things. And I don't know if it's that, um, 
but it just feels now that you know we're kind of 12 months into this thing and it's all wearing a bit thin now and you know i think that's the the struggle now is is how do we keep ourselves motivated and how do we keep ourselves positive um we keep thinking about you know the light at the end of a tunnel um that tunnel seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger you know and it's like at what point are we we're going to get back to a, a stage where we do have that level of flexibility and normality now and who knows you know um it's a it's a real tough one this what um what are you doing what sort of tips would you share about what you're doing um you and the family th- things that you would share that are kind of just keeping you sane spending time together when we can i think you know there's, there's key things you know whether that's sitting down and watching a film together whether it's going out for a walk together um playing board games whatever whatever those things are that we can do collectively to separate the day so you know monday to friday is monday to friday my, me and my wife work full-time my daughter's now you know, she's 13 online lessons from the, the, the length of the school day. So they're all live. She logs on in the morning and she's taught via Teams, you know, and follows her timetable as, as, as she would do for school. So we're all very constrained when it comes to the daytime. So weekends are great to actually try and do something different and spend some time together doing something, the, the little things that we can do, but still having a level of routine in that Um you know, I think you posted that you're doing that and going out for a commute on a morning with the girls, right? Yeah. That type of thing for me is really important. You know, start and end your day to separate the the kind of mundane monotony of being stuck in the house uh, mm-hmm. and treating this period of time as this is the working day. And then outside of the working day, trying to keep things as normal as possible and, and do things that break up that kind of monotony. Um, and I think just talking about stuff when we talk and, we're a very open family. Um, but one of the things that we pride ourselves on is giving Amy the voice to be able to say, look, I'm struggling. And, mm. you know, if you talk to us about it, we can help you. Um, if you keep it bottled in, we, we, we can't help you, you know, and kind of we're very open with our emotions and our feelings. Um, and I think we have to be because we haven't got that separation anymore where you might take a couple of days to digest. If I'm working away for a couple of days and you can decop cop the uh, can't speak now compartmentalize yeah that's the one right yeah. it's been a long day <laughs> um but you can do that when you're yeah. when you're away and you can have that separation and because that doesn't exist anymore you've got to find ways of doing that um and that for me is just treating the non-working times the times where we're not attached to the computer or whatever as events so you can do things together and spend time together whatever that might be I think it's also opened up um, a lot of conversations about news and things like that. The amount of um, times one of the girls has bought a headline that says lockdown is going to carry on for this time. And it's all it's 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 alarmist. If you think about um, even bona fide outlets, Sky News, less so the BBC, but definitely Sky, their headlines are are alarming and that's the point and then when you read the body of the text actually it's it might or indications are rather than the attention grabbing um headline and i think those kind of things have this kind of woodpecker effect on people's mental health and i think we've probably all gone through periods of not following the news not following daily stats of deaths and 
hospital admissions and, and things like that because I, I'm currently in that stage now where I'm not looking. Whereas oh, that, before I used that to was be. my New Year's resolution, right? <laughs> <laughs> to separate myself from that a little bit, because it, it does become really all-consuming, I think. And for that first period, you know, from March last year or back end of February, uh, March last year up to probably you know September, October, religiously looking, reading the headlines, reading the stories, trying to keep myself informed. And then I got to a point now of going, you know what, if anything major is happening, then we'll find out about it. To your point, the alarmist nature, especially with Amy and this, you know, when they decide to shut the schools mm. this time, the, and then, then the first saying, look, it'll be mid-February. And then last week being told that it's likely to be Easter, that had a real negative effect on Amy. And it's kind of trying to control that a little bit and control that flow of information is really difficult mm. um, because they, you know, they do worry about things and they do ponder about it. And it's, you know, the same as we are as adults, but I think children more so because their whole life revolves around their pals and their um, their activities and their clubs, you know, dancing. Amy's, you know, competitive dancer and she's not competing now for, for over 12 months so she's essentially lost a year of her kind of junior career mm. uh, and that's hard for her I and mean, it's hard that she's not seen her friends and it's hard that she's not been engaged with people in the way that she is used to doing and has done since she was kind of five six year old so you know it's the bit for me now is just to try and separate myself from that a little bit um kind of control the things i can control and everything else will take care of itself a little bit. I wonder how, um, I'd love to hear from people that are kind of frontline staff members, how they are doing, because let's be honest, me and you now are at a level where we do have some flexibility around, we might work longer hours, but we can have more control over our calendars, right? And say, I'm going to do this then, I'm going to do this then when you are logging into the um, phone systems ready to take customer service calls, I don't know of many places that give people total freedom. Um, you know, we're doing surveys of our guys who are working from home and they, they, they seem to be satisfied, but I'd love to know in the same way I'm talking to you, what, how people are coping this time round as opposed to the previous other two lockdowns, if your job is, dealing with people yeah. constantly it's got to be such a different experience hasn't it and i think you know that whole it's it, what i'd like to understand is the reality behind the theory that we all talk about like say we're in positions where we talk a lot about how we can tackle these things so you know how technology can support people how flexible scheduling can support people and and, and i can talk about this stuff and say you know this mm -hmm. is how you can do things slightly differently. What I don't tend to see as much is what is the reality on the other side of that? So, you know, when we're talking about these things, who's actually doing those things and who's, you know, embracing this kind of change and flexibility and scheduling people different and how is that support being provided now? And, you know, those things um, I'm probably not as close to as I'd like to be, but it's hard. You know, it's hard to it's hard to get close to that. And I, you know, to your point, I would I would love to hear from people who are, you know, doing this stuff really well, 
so we can learn and share and uh, you know hopefully bring others on that journey but also those where they are having a struggle to understand how can we do things differently going forward because you know like you said you know if they were to turn around tomorrow and say life gets back to normal it won't get back to normal in a way that we would want it to it is going to be a very slow drip feed type approach so this isn't something that's going to be fixed overnight as we know um and the actual recovery and the the kind of getting out of this situation will probably take just as long Uh, it it feels like to me to your point that there's going to be it feels like there's going to be a tsunami of um impact from all of this it feels like we're just holding it off that we're just going well we're, we're in lockdown everything can wait and then let's say let's fast forward enough people have been vaccinated that people can return to work contact centers can start to be filled up a bit more even with people looking like they're going to do a hybrid model some people back some not or you're back and you're not and you you can alternate between the two you look at some of the headlines attrition's low absence is low it just makes me wonder what will happen when we revert back to a little bit like it was in the past yeah so that people are going back in because i think the positives are let's be honest me and you started on the phones the reason i stayed in the contact center on the phones two reasons one i thought i could progress but the main one to start with i just enjoyed the banter i enjoyed people around me yeah so you had a bad call or you had a an interaction that was either bad or good first thing i would do whilst in rap actually would just turn around and chat to the person next to me and say oh you never guess what just happened yeah um or you you guess what i just said um and that something happened every day because you had a collection you you were sat in a pod of 20 people 20 human beings something someone said something funny or did something funny every day and going into work was a pleasure. You'd be like, yeah, this is great. Not the work itself. And that's where I think now we've both talked about this before. I have like a healthy cynicism when you see grand theories and strategies, either on LinkedIn or white papers about this, that, and the other. And you think, how much does that resonate with the version of me 20 years ago going on the phones? not much coaching did feedback yeah. did my team leader had an impact yeah not much else it's interesting isn't it? i think that and, and you know we've mentioned this and spoke about this loads over the years but you know the best thing about our industry is the people that's always has been the camaraderie the the kind of relationships that you build you know to your point the the banter and the fun and the the kind of spirit uh, that, that you kind of generate in in a contact center is second to none, I think. And mm. that's been taken away to a degree. So it is interesting now to see how does that change our industry going forward? What does that mean to us in terms of that that kind of place to work that we've that we've developed and those relationships that we've developed? And you know, I can imagine you know it's like two things, isn't it? It's that I think it was Boris last week or maybe the week before he said um he he expects to see a big rush of people just going back to the office as soon as 
they say that's allowed to do. And I kind of sit back and go, I think there will be a lot of people that want to go back mm. for that reason. But if the restrictions that are in place take away the good bits of being in the office, then why would you? Because mm. actually the, the bits that you want is that, you know, being able to sit with your pals, being able to have a nap, be able to go to the break room or go out for a cigarette in the cigarette shelter or whatever those little moments are throughout the course of a day where you have that different conversation, that, that bit of a laugh and then that bit of a giggle. If going back to the office under restrictions means you don't have that level of engagement with your peers anyway, then what's the differentiator anymore? Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Because you were talking about schooling then and um, Melody, Harmony and Mia here all miss what's happening as well as their clubs and things like that is what's happening same with us now at work it's boiled everything down so school now is boiled down to the learning element the topic not walking to school not your break not lunchtime not seeing your mates and just having a a chat about the latest thing or whatever same as work it's just we go on zoom meeting after zoom meeting after zoom meeting purely about the topic that you're there on that zoom meeting for it's taken away all of the extra bits and bobs all all around um school and that kind of and that's all down to human interactions and i don't think we've got an adequate alternative in a virtual world you know there's no. different different things i'm sharing tips that i hear and other we've tried at work and ways to it's hot i hate the phrase but not because they're not icebreakers they're just different questions to yep. to ask i shared one about the other day about we asked the leadership team or i asked all of my peers what's your passion you know if you had free time the thing that your purest happiest in what is your passion and we haven't had much movement in the leadership teams so i've worked with these guys for five years and I found things out about all of them that I never knew. Yep. And it was, you know, things like that. So there are things that you can do like that, but it still isn't the same. It's like a watered-down no version. Yeah, I don't there's any substitute for that human-to-human -human interaction. There just isn't. And we've tried, and I think we've adapted very well. You know, yeah, I look at the last year and, and kind of how my work's adapted. And I think as a business, we've adapted really well we're still kind of engaging with our customers, you know, in the best way that we can. We're still delivering the projects and the support and doing all the things we can do in a remote world. But the bits that you miss is I think the relationships that you build aren't as strong as they have been in the past because you're building them through you know through this either on a zoom meeting or a, mm. or a microsoft teams or whatever where you know and i think because we're in that environment that I'm not saying we go unprofessional but to your point at the start of a meeting you might as people are coming in they're dripping in and going to get coffees or whatever you're having a bit of a natter and to your point talking about what you're watching on tv or just football or something and you're building these personal relationships with the, the the people that you're working with whereas when you're on a online meeting this is pretty much as soon as it starts it's all business straight away yeah and you, you're missing 
kind of creating those personal connections. Um, and that for me has been a real struggle this year because I pride myself on trying to understand people's personalities, their likes and dislikes and being able to utilize that to build a relationship. And I'm not finding out those little nuggets of information as freely as I would have done in the past. Uh, because you're not having those little sidebar conversations about something or you're not kind of wait, you know, all those little moments of interaction that we've taken for granted over the years has now disappeared out of our normal day-to-day working lives. And it's a, it's leaving a massive hole for me, for sure. Because mm. a lot of the time, let's be honest, conferences and things like that, the best bits happened in between the seminars or the presentations, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's no substitute for having a beer at a bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. It just, it just isn't, right? I just, uh, yeah, you know, but again, you just, I think we're making, you know, making the best out of a bad situation. But for me, for all that we talk around hybrid working, and I think we will have some level of that. And I think that is a way to go. I think it's sustainable to a, to a degree, but removing all levels of human to human interaction will have a long-term detrimental effect, I think, not just on um, people, but I think the industry, the industry would shift seismically in terms of its appeal to people. Yeah. What about the level of service that we're able to offer? I say we, being the contact centre industry. Do Do you think there'll be changes as a result of this? I think people start looking, and, and if they haven't already, really start looking at what their long-term operating model looks like, that traditional kind of way of opening. I think there was a lot at the beginning um, of the pandemic where it was, a, it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to everything and everyone, you know, changing operating hours and service levels and dedicated numbers and all these things, which all best intentions, don't get me wrong, I think every decision was made with the best intentions. I think what this will drive now is going, actually, what do people want, you know, based on, I think we've been a bit more vocal about that. What what do our customers want? What do our people want? And being able to now build an operating model or service offering that actually starts to be reflective of the customer wants and needs and, you know, really get into that kind of customer experience crux of it that says we can actually start to look at things differently. Um, And, you know, for me, that's got to be a good thing. I I was talking to someone last week and we're looking at, you know, the impacts of things like recruitment and those types of elements where you can start to look for, different types of personality and different types of people and you know the the impact of being able to employ people that can work remotely that you wouldn't necessarily um, bring into a office environment for whatever reason and I use the example I've got a cousin who's got Asperger's and he is very clever very talented young man um, but he struggles in groups of people he struggles Mm -hmm in those interactions and being around people and he can never hold down a job that kind of puts him in that situation because he finds it really uh, really frustrating and, 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 and really struggles to deal with it but today if i was to say look i've got all this work that needs doing i can put you set you up on a computer you can do it he would happily just plod away at that work quite happily efficiently 
and be able to do a really, really good job, which in the past I wouldn't, we, we know we possibly wouldn't have been able to give him because yeah. he'd have had to come in the office to do that work. So I think we've yeah. got an opportunity to really broaden our scope in terms of what does our future operating states look like. And, you know, I said last time I was on that this has been or should be a perfect opportunity for people to learn um, about what's good, about what they do, about what's bad, about what they do, and, and make some real positive changes as we as we come out of this thing and, and move into whatever the future looks like. It's unsettled everyone in a positive way, I think, isn't it? It's allowed, it's shaken everything, and that normally means people spend some time to think, and some of the creative stuff that's come out of this period has been fantastic to to see and um long may long may it continue i think um katie who came on from red recruitment before was talking about uh, using videos a lot more and um susie wright who loves the podcast and is at not on the high street said contacted me to say they'd used um asked people to video themselves and send it in for their recruitment process and they got a caliber of person that they hadn't seen before you know they're just utilizing technology allowed people to show a bit more of their personality everyone's far used to being on camera now um that wouldn't have happened in 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 the past and i think you know from our work our guys they do a lot of analytical stuff so they want to be in an environment where they can really really focus and study and actually our employee engagement levels are fantastic at the moment because people are at home we've given them the right equipment they're not distracted for me personally i'm the other way around i need <laughs> distraction <laughs> yeah i'm i'm the same as you martin right yeah um i am as a social butterfly is that there is that the yeah. phrase I'm, yeah some, some people might call me that um, others might call me something else, um, <laughs> yeah. which I will uh, mention. On here. You'd have to put the explicit warning on. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that, that for me has always been one of my great strengths. I felt, you know, the fact that I can build relationships, be around people, and and do that. Um, I've never been one for being particularly shy, so adapting to to this way of working has been relatively easy. I don't mind going on camera. I don't mind mm. doing that. What we have seen is people over this year change. And I remember when we first started doing this, I'd go to meetings, I was always in, video on, not a bother. Um, and I'd sit on that meeting on my own with me, you know, might be 10 people on the call and just me with my video on, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I did that and I did it for a while. And But over time, more and more of those videos have started coming on. So, you, you know, now it's uh, it's a rare thing that the camera isn't on. Mm. And it's funny because that person now stands out as in the yeah. past, it would have been, you know, in, in the space like six, seven months, that kind yeah. of shift has changed now where the person without the camera on is the, is the focus of attention and say, mm. what is the camera on for, you know? Um, so I think we have seen that, that shift and it is allowing people to do things differently and look at things in a way that I just think it's just nice for people to start thinking differently about things. And sometimes we need that kick to get us to it. We talk about things, you know, I've been in this a long time, 20 odd years now. And 
I was having conversations at the start of the pandemic that I was probably having 10, 15 years ago with some people. And it was always on, oh, we'll have a think about it. We might do that. Well, you know, it's never the right time. It's never the right time. And kind of always putting it off and putting it off because they were just getting by. And when you're just getting by with stuff, it's all right. You can kind of just get on and, and worry about it another day. But then the pandemic hit. And we saw, you know, people just go, oh, I'm, I'm not set up for this. Mm. And now, you know, for me, the acceleration of change is something that I'm finding is a real positive thing. People are looking at it and going, you know what, actually, we can do better for our people. We can do better for our customers. Um, and this pandemic has highlighted where some of our gaps were. And now we've got a real opportunity to just do things differently, whether that's through how, who and how they recruit, whether that's through how they train and coach people and develop people and provide flexibility and all those good things. I'm starting to see more of and more examples of. It's just, uh, can we sustain it? And will that positive change continue as and when a time that we are allowed to go back to normal mm. happens, or will we just revert back to type again? I hope we. That's I hope way. we. I hope we positively change, and I, I. I hope there's more disruption, positively in the, in the market. Not just. I think, I still see it now. Unfortunately, I think me and you had to rearrange this a couple of times because my, our broadband provider, we've had some challenges and I always think I don't know about you the moment you're in the industry you take a different type of interest in when you are contacting people in life whether it's your bank uh, utility provider or in this case a broadband provider I think about the journey I'm being asked to to go and how I interact so internet goes down first thing you do is go on the app check the app the app tells you some real basic stuff that you should be doing and checking. You've done that. Then the app tries to run a speed test, tells you everything's fine when you know it's not. And then says, okay, you need a, pro you need a problem resolved. I'm now going to hand you over to the phones. The phones take forever to answer. And you, you know what's coming next is you repeat your issue over and over again you end up being more informed than the people you're speaking to. But what I find interesting is I'll always have a soft spot for the people I'm talking to. And at no point is any of my frustration aimed, aimed at them. But the journeys we ask people to go on and what we ask them to do, it's no exaggeration to say, and I'm still kind of in the middle of it really, but it's been hours of time and effort and frustration. Um, to get anything close to the issue being resolved and surely we're better than that and in, in fact the ivr as well saying it's due to the pandemic is wearing a bit thin yeah i think that's uh, the point now for me it's this using yeah. it as an excuse now is it's it, it there's no there's no excuse now i don't think i think we've had plenty of time to adapt to change the way we work do whatever we need to do to create the experiences that we should be creating for customers i think the pandemic as an excuse is wearing thin for a lot of people um and different industries have embraced it slightly differently but you know it's it is a red rag to the bull now for a lot of people well you know whether it's um you know, there should be no excuse now we should have adapted enough over the last kind of nine ten months to be able to deliver a business as usual 
service and if that business as usual service is failing uh, then you've got some serious changing to do you just i just wonder why do you remember it was like 2010 all of the conferences and everything because it was 10 years forward was talking about not just the agent of 2020 but what a customer experience and customer service would be like it was all self-serve up to the point where you had really complex requirements and then you would speak to a super agent yeah i don't think we're any that doesn't strike me as the the main type of offering we're still we're, we're still the same we haven't necessarily progressed to that and you could say well actually that's because of the that's market economy tells you this is what we want this is what you deliver i just think i wonder if out of this pandemic and what it does to society and businesses someone there there are people that are going to go we're going to do a different way of doing this i think we've, we have we have to see it i think there's, there's a key thing for me is that like anything so I, I work for a technology firm and our technology is fantastic and you can see the capabilities of some of that technology and you think that is phenomenal and you know we do have customers that have adopted a lot of that stuff and are doing some really really clever things but in like anything, it's that shift, that human nature shift to go, oh, that's a bit too futuristic for me. You know, and, and you kind of think, well, is it really? Because we'll yeah. talk about this stuff 10 years ago and we've got some use cases of it. People are actually doing it. We can see the benefits of you doing it. What's stopping people now kind of taking that leap of faith in something that they may have found a little bit too out there in the past? I think yeah. the technology is bringing the things to life what we need to see now is an adoption in that and i think this will tr trigger some of that because i think the, the the best way to deal with the pandemic in the sense that if we are to you know uh, mobilize our workforce and do things slightly differently then technology has to underpin that you can't do it without the technology um and it is starting to drive a different level of conversation for me now in in, in people going right i need to understand this a little bit more explain it to me differently talk to me about it differently so we can start to see what benefit that's going to bring us as an organization um but you're right you know i think we are slow to adopt sometimes in industry um you know i've you know, come back quality management when i first started doing it and you kind of look at the the way the the industry's changed but i'll still come across organizations where you think people stopped doing that 10 years ago why are you still doing it that way what's driving that and they just have never changed or never adapted and still doing something that we would class as an archaic process now um but we see that across the board in a lot of in a lot of cases with different with different things within the industry where you just come across things and you go you really? like, still doing it that way you'd like to think wouldn't you one of those things would have been homeworking yeah and the no one would have countenanced um, mass homeworking like we have now. Wouldn't have even come up in strategy meetings for people saying, should we shift everyone out of this building and put 90% of them at home? They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, you would like to think people are a bit more open-minded now because we've been able to do that as an industry without skipping a beat, really lot of effort for sure yep. but in the same way that that has been proven to be possible we should be looking at loads of other stuff i mean we're the same as you we 
we get to see what good looks like. We're lucky with the people we work with and partner with, and some are doing fantastic groundbreaking stuff, but across our industry, it'd be great if this marked, this was a real key point, milestone before and after, yeah. where we said, let's really, let's really push this. Let's make this not just about CX champions on, on LinkedIn, but it's reality. We're really, really going to make a difference. And that's the key thing, isn't it? Let's make a difference. Let's do things and let's affect positive change. And let's make sure that whatever decisions we make today are decisions that can future proof us, whatever that future might look like. Mm. We can start, you know, we can start making those decisions now because it shouldn't change the way you think about delivering a good customer or employee experience. Mm. You know, I, I, it doesn't doesn't change for me. And I think, you know, being able to look back and say, right, what are we going to do going forward from a flexibility point of view? Well, you can decide that now. You don't need yeah. to know where the pandemic's yeah. going. Yeah. You know, what are we going to do on a, you know, on a, on a, on a training and coaching, onboarding, recruitment process? What we're we going to, well, don't matter. You can think about those stuff now and make those things permanent parts of your process, but have choice and have a freedom of choice. So if, you know, if people want to interview remotely, brilliant. If people want to interview face to face, brilliant. Let's not, you know, yeah. let's not try and say it's one or the other. Actually, yeah. we've got a process that incorporates both, both things. Yeah. And let the person decide the process they want to follow. Yeah. But the experience and the outcomes shouldn't be shouldn't be different. Wouldn't be right. different. And then that's the bit for me that we just need to find that balance now of going, we can make those decisions now. We can make those changes now. And you know, let's start thinking about that and, and making those positive changes and uh decisions now because there's nothing stopping us from doing that. As we as we come to the end, I'm gonna use you as my um guinea pig. Um so same thing that I mentioned earlier. What is your passion? Can't be family or friends. What is my passion? Yeah. Well, I've got two. Don't don't a, a serious one. Or, well, yeah. well, I've got Maybe two things, right? Two, so, yeah. so, 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 <laughs> I have. I'm, I'm very passionate about beer. Okay. But in a way that I like different types of beer, so I will go out of my way to find new breweries, okay. new different types of beer, different styles of beer from all over the world. Uh, and I collect different types of beer uh, and drink them. And What's your all-time number one favourite? My all-time number one favourite, it's very different. Interestingly, there was a beer I drank when I was in Atlanta a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember the name of the brewery off the top of my head. I'll think of it while I'm talking. Um, but it was called Slap Fight. Uh, and it was an IPA, um, and I'd got it at the airport, and I thought, I'll have a couple at the airport just to uh, see me off. I had a long flight back to the UK, so I thought, I'll have a couple at the airport, sleep on the flight, happy days. So I started drinking. I had three of these beers, and then I looked at it, and they were all 12%, and I didn't realise. <laughs> and I was like, by the time I got, <laughs> got, to go, uh, got to go to the terminal, I was uh, seeing a bit cross-eyed. So that, that kind of caught me by surprise. <laughs> but it was one of the things that got me really interested in beers because it was beer that tasted. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think it was yeah, the yeah. strength that it was, but yeah. that science behind mixing yeah. the hops and the, the, the alcohol and being able to do something and create something that tastes like a fruit juice 
but there's got no fruit in it is baffling to me and so i've spent a lot of time kind of looking and learning around that type of stuff and tasting different types of beer but yeah so that's one of my passions and my other passion is football you know i'm a i'm a big football fan uh and that keeps me going at the minute it's the and horse racing i've got loads i like horse racing um, do you prefer yeah. football or horse racing Depends. To be fair, horse racing, I have more of an affinity with horse racing than I have done for years. I grew up near Weatherby um, in Leeds, and I used to spend um, most weekends and some evenings at Weatherby Racetrack uh, and grew up um, doing that. Uh, and I live now in Newcastle. I live a stone's throw away from Newcastle Racecourse. I'm not saying that was a decision in buying the house but it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's just a stone's throw away so you know when we are allowed to do that we will you know spend time at what, the track let, and, and well like let's that. combine wasn't it um McManaman and Robbie Fowler bought a racehorse and they called it a really fast horse yes so that when the commentators were doing their thing they would be saying and coming around the outside is a really fast horse yeah <laughs> and then it, didn't they buy another one and they called it another fast horse, and they wanted yeah. to put both in the same race. Same race, and they weren't allowed to. <laughs> they weren't allowed to do it. No, oh, no. certain rules, right, around naming and, and 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 horse racing, and and so you you can name your horse whatever you want, but it goes off to the BHA, and they will then run it through the database of all, and, and if there's some that are too similar, um, or could have like a rude connotation and or anything like that. They'll kind of discount or discard it, a bit like number plates, right? Um, These kind of rules around it. So yeah, so you couldn't do that. There was a guy um, who used to own Salford uh, Rugby League Club, uh, and he had all his horses were named Gabriel, or then some variation of Gabriel's. It was like Gabriel's Angel, uh, Gabriel's Prince. Gabriel. So everything was Gabriel with some other kind of moniker either side of it, and then he got told at one point to stop it now. You've got too yeah. many Gabriels, you can't have any more. Yeah. <laughs> Just be it. It's getting too confusing <laughs> for people. <laughs> well, Chris, the doorbell is because uh, our electric's about to be turned off, this ongoing saga. Um, so perfect timing. Thanks very much for coming on again. Welcome. And we will do this again no, next week, no doubt. Yeah, just whenever. Just drop me a note, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm uh, always happy to chat. Okay, take care, mate. Look Thanks after yourself, lot. mate. Take yeah, care, bye-bye. Bye-bye.